and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. Today's episode is another edition of Thriving Through Anxiety, and I will tell you all about my amazing guest in just a sec. But first, you may have seen my video all about my life motto, never be the one to say no to yourself. It got like millions of views, which was kind of a trip. Anyway, one of my Patreon fan members requested that I talk about my motto in more depth. So if you head over to patreon.com slash Liz Moody and listen to the latest episode of A Very Moody Morning, you can hear all about how I developed the philosophy and how I've used it to get raises, my two book deals, my husband, and more. And if you're like, what the heck is a very moody morning? It is my new secret, super intimate podcast. It's 20 minutes long, drops once a week. It's super casual and chatty and is like hanging out with my friends and me in real life, talking about the meaning of life, achieving our dreams, sex, celebrity gossip. Nothing at all is going to change here. In fact, I have super exciting news about this pod that I'll be sharing in September that will make it even better. But if you want me at my most vulnerable, the stuff that I am literally too nervous to share with thousands of people, head over to patreon.com slash Liz Moody. All right, today's pod. I am so excited to have on Alex Snodgrass of The Defined Dish for my newest episode of Thriving Through Anxiety. Alex is the New York Times bestselling author of The Defined Dish and the upcoming The Comfort Kitchen and the woman behind the hugely successful blog and Instagram, The Defined Dish. This series is all about how incredible people have thrived through anxiety and even tapped into it as their superpower. And on this episode, Alex talks about how having kids impacted her anxiety in both good ways and bad, which you know that I was very interested in as somebody who is undecided about the subject and trying to accumulate all of the information possible in the world. She talks about her thoughts on medication, what she eats to help with her anxiety, the books that have been the most useful for her anxiety journey, and so much more. Quick note, I recorded the first two-thirds of the interview, and then I heard Alex go into her fear of flying in more detail on Instagram. So I called her up, and I got her back on the pod because I had so many questions about how she overcame one of my personal biggest fears. So stick around after the first interview because we did a little quickie all about that, and Alex shared some amazing lessons that apply to larger anxiety and I think just life in general too. As always, Alex and I would love to hear what's resonating with you as you listen, so tag me. I am at Liz Moody, and she is at The Defined Dish. And if you want to check out the first episode of the series, just scroll back in the feed. It's with Freckled Foodie and Veggiekins, and it is one of my favorite episodes ever. And if you have anyone in your life who is dealing with anxiety, please send them this episode. I think it is such a powerful message that you can have anxiety and have it be a beautiful, important part of your story. Okay, I love you. You are beautiful. Let's get into the episode. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this. I'm so excited to get into, I have so many questions for you, but let's start off. Can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm Alex Snodgrass, like you said, and I am on Instagram and on the interwebs and um, known as The Defined Dish. I have a food blog that's kind of centered around healthier cooking, um, easy weeknight dinners. I also am a cookbook author of The Defined Dish. Who would have guessed it? Same name. <laughs> and um, it's just really a place where I can share tips and tricks on just 
being able to cook in the kitchen and bringing back the love in the kitchen and um, lots of healthy recipes. So that's really kind of the gist. I can obviously go into more detail if that's too generic, but you tell me. <laughs> well, and your cookbook, I just want to say, is phenomenal. And it was a phenomenal success too. It was one of those cookbooks that sort of broke through and everybody yeah. was obsessed with. And it was just well, a really <laughs> beautiful piece of work. Thank you. Yes, I was super excited with the success it had. It's been a New York Times bestseller and people are still cooking out of it. So that makes me happy. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Okay. So we'll talk about, I think the food element of anxiety is really interesting. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'd love to start out by just, can you tell me a little bit about your anxiety journey? Like, do you remember when you started feeling, and I sometimes think recognizing and feeling is a little di different. Like when you started feeling yeah. and recognizing that you had anxiety? For sure. You know, I think growing up, I was always a quote unquote worrier even as a kid, but I never necessarily had that panicky anxiety feeling. I think I was anxious about things, but not like a necessarily, I mean, I know that's kind of like one and the same on a totally different scale. And, but growing up, I was just kind of always a worrier and worried about, you know, everybody around me and what was going on and, you know, big life changes or track meets or anything that was kind of scary. I tended to uh, be a little bit more debilitated by it than like my friends growing up, mm. but I didn't really experience my first anxiety attack. I know exactly where I was and when until I was in my twenties. So my husband and I kind of to backtrack, we at 24 found out that we were pregnant unexpected, unexpectedly um, we had been dating for a while. So we of course like chose the path, like, okay, we're just going to kind of fast forward our lives a little bit. We're going to have a baby sooner than we thought. And we're going to get married a little bit sooner than we thought. We, and we did all that. And it was right after I had set in my first that I went on my bachelorette party. So my first trip away from my daughter and, um, kind of my first time to like drink and stuff since I had a kid. And I think I was struggling with like the roots of anxiety that I didn't know were already there, but mm. also a little bit of postpartum tossed and peppered in there. And on that trip, I had debilitating anxiety attack where I thought I was dying. I was like, I can't breathe. Something's wrong with me. I didn't know that sensation. Luckily, I had a really good friend there with me that has struggled with anxiety. She's like, I promise you, you're just having an anxiety attack. Like, you're going to live. Mm. You will be okay. And it was after that that it just kind of, um, kind of grew on itself. And I didn't really know how to manage it or handle it. And that's whenever I kind of started going to a doctor about it and just started to play with, okay, how do I get to a place where I can manage this? Because it was a totally new thing for me. And that was in 2013, um, I'd say. So that was really my first big experience with anxiety. And from there, it's just, you know, of course, been a journey of learning and we can get to all those little things. But that was really where my anxiety kind of stemmed from was just kind of at a younger age, um, new mom, already a worrier, getting away from my kid for the first time, but also kind of being out of touch with myself. I think mm. um, when my husband and I had Sutton, it was a big transition, of course, but also we packed up our lives from Austin and I left my job at the time, which wasn't anything super serious that I don't think I would have stayed with forever, but it was definitely like the path that I was going on um, to move back to the DFW area to be closer to family. 
And then it was like, okay, what am I going to do next? Um, so I was kind of like trying to figure out myself too. So there was just a lot mm. of things that stimulated whenever my anxiety got to its peak, basically. And you, so you started seeing a professional then, and did you also go on medicine or medication at the time? I did. Um, I, and I still have medication for like kind of emergency use back pocket. You know, it just makes you feel better to have Yeah, it me there. too. I literally have the <laughs> same like container. I have like four pills left in it. And I think it's like, maybe they could almost be expired. Like they're so old, yes. but I just like will not part with it because it's my little safety blanket. For sure. And I'd say I still, I still go to the same psychiatrist to get those pills like once a year. And I can get through an entire year with 30 when sometimes still have leftovers. So it's, it's really just there for a security blanket, but I, I got on medicine at that time as well. I didn't right off the bat. I kind of was like, okay, that was a really bad anxiety attack. Let's move forward. And it wasn't until I'd say like six months later that I really hit a stage where I was having it every day for like two weeks straight. And I was like, oh my gosh, mm. now I literally can barely get out of bed and I'm so miserable. And that's really when I started going to see a doctor and got medicated to really help. I think it was really a really important step in my battle with anxiety to just like be able to get out of like my head to even be able to take care of myself to learn to manage my anxiety through all the other more natural approaches as well. So that's kind of more or less how I started to go to the doctor just because it was the first attack. And then it was a couple little ones peppered into there. And then it got really bad. I'd say like in October of that year. And this probably happened like in the springtime, my first anxiety attack that I was just like, okay, I can't, I can't function. This is not okay. What do I do? What do you, what is your relationship with medication anxiety? I think a lot of people who have anxiety feel a lot of shame around medication or they're nervous. I'm, I personally have like hypochondriacal thoughts around medication. I'm, what is your relationship with that? You know, for me, I think like obviously medicine exists for a reason and there it's, it's there to help you. And if you're in a place where you are, just completely debilitated where you don't even know where to start. But also this is just in my opinion, or also just nothing else is working. I think it's, it's there for a reason to help you. And like, whatever you have to do to be the best person of yourself is, is obviously of utmost importance in my opinion. And so for me, when I did get on the medication, and this is how I feel about with anything that I do, it's not just anxiety. I'm like, okay, if I have to take medication, because this is this is what's going on with me. What are some other things that I can mm. be doing to support that so that perhaps I might be able to get off that medication? And I really try to do that with everything in my life. And that's kind of my mindset around medication in general. So it's like, okay, if this if this is obviously a core issue, what other things can I be doing to support that to help to help manage that anxiety? And with that, with time, I was like, oh, I don't need the medicine anymore. Um, and now again, like I said, I still have it and I have no qualms taking it when I need to. Um, but I just don't need it that much because I've learned whenever I have that sensation of like, okay, it's starting to creep in again. I need to make sure I, you know, do these things that I've found really help me manage my anxiety so that I don't get to that point that I got when those two weeks straight went and I was just absolutely miserable. 
Can you, I'd, I'd love to talk, I want to talk about the things you're doing, um, obviously, but when you say you were really miserable for those two weeks, I'm curious how your anxiety actually manifested. Like, I think it feels different for different people. For you, is it physical? Is it racing thoughts? Like what's happening? I'd say a little bit of both. I think for me, um, I'll just get to the point where I'll get racing thoughts and I feel like I can't catch my breath. I feel kind of numbness all over and I just kind of just feel like a little bit out of body and skitzy about it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't like get this feeling to go away. Um, and I feel like anxiety is such a hard thing to explain <laughs> now that I'm trying to do it. But it is, but I think it's also so interesting. Like, like I, I used to have, I mean, I still do, I get stomach aches for, and they, for a long time I was like, oh, like what's wrong with my gut? I need to heal my gut. And then I realized that they were anxiety completely. Like they're, they're just anxiety. And I think often we can have these symptoms of anxiety and not have any clue that that's what anxiety is, you know? For sure. And now I've started to get to where my anxiety will kind of come in new little creative ways. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> so, so crafty. And lately, which I do think it's some other things as well, but um, I've started to experience vertigo and mm. it really, it stimulates some from vestibular issues and neck issues. But also when I'm stressed, that's whenever it just skyrockets. And I'm like, okay, stress and anxiety on top of like some underlying vestibular issues are just a horrible match made in heaven. And I will get vertigo now from it. And that's been a new thing for me that I've just started to experience within the last year that I'm learning to manage and try to control as well. What's been helpful with that? You know, for me, I, well, first of all, I think with the type of anxiety that I have, the most important thing for me is to make sure that nothing else is more seriously wrong so that I can get that out of my head. Cause I am very fatalistic when I have that anxiety, I tend to think I'm, you know, have a brain tumor or something really ridiculous or, and I'll go down that track. So for me, just going to get checked out, I went and had a blood, a lot of blood work done, went to my practitioner and just did like kind of the general, like, Hey, you're, you're fine. There's nothing like seriously wrong with you. And then from there, I started going to my, I have a functional medicine doctor that I go to here in Dallas that has really helped me a lot. And Mm. I found him throughout this um, vertigo journey. Some people had recommended him and he's kind of an all around person who's really helped me. He, he helps patients like after they've been in a car accident, kind of get, you know, their head back. And so because it's a vestibular issue in my neck, he treats it with chiropractic care and some vestibular therapy. And that's helped me tremendously. What other tools are you are sort of in your toolbox? Like, I would love to know what you've tried that's been sort of a game changer and really worked. And then I'd also know love to know things that you've tried that have been like meh, that you're like, well, that didn't help at all. <laughs> for sure. Um, I think for me, the things that are the most valuable is slowing down. Um, and just, you know, I grew up in a small town and sometimes I feel like with how fast paced the world is in general, um, it's overwhelming for all of us, but I grew up being at home a lot. We didn't have restaurants and we weren't going, it was like after school and after all of our activities, even though we were busy at being at home at the end of the day and having dinner around the dinner table was the norm. And so Mm. 
when we're constantly going and going and going and I don't have that decompression with like with my family at the end of the day, that is huge for me. So I like to make sure like our social calendar, as far as like the end of the day goes throughout the week, we don't overcommit ourselves because that really throws me down big time. I think exercise is also very important. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, you should do yoga. That really helps. And for me, that helped a little bit, but I really found like the way that I like to move my body is just more of like sprinting and lifting weights. And that's the type of athlete that I am. So I've really found a gym that kind of caters to that and workouts that cater to that style of working out that really like moves my body in a way that I think my body was built to do. Um, and so that's been really good for me as well. And then of course the eating component I think is the biggest and the cutting out uh, the alcohol and sugar. I think sugar has been one that I've realized is I'm very sensitive to. And I, my, like neurologically, I react to it where I, I notice it more whenever I have a lot of sugar or a lot of alcohol. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. When I worked as a magazine editor, I wrote more than a thousand articles about turmeric because pretty much all of the doctors that I used as sources kept recommending it or citing it as one of the supplements that they would personally take. Here's the background. Turmeric is one of the most powerful ways to fight inflammation. In a nutshell, there are two types of inflammation, acute and chronic. Acute inflammation can actually be a good thing. It's one of the ways that your body heals and repairs itself. But when that system goes haywire, we get chronic inflammation, which essentially makes your body feel like it's constantly under attack. The vast majority of doctors I work with cite chronic inflammation as one of the root causes of so many of our modern ailments, and research links inflammation with heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, cancer, arthritis, and gut issues like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. I am never going to sit around and tell you that a supplement will cure everything that ails you, but if you're looking for a turmeric supplement to help get your inflammation under control, I am extremely impressed with Paleo Valley's. To increase the bioavailability of turmeric, you need to consume it with black pepper, which most people know, and fat, which many people forget about. Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has black pepper and coconut oil to maximize absorption and three other powerful anti-inflammatories, ginger, rosemary, and clove, for a maximum synergistic response. It also has no fillers, binders, or preservatives and is made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. Finally, it's third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I've had my uncle taking this for about three months, and he's gone from having debilitating back pain due to an autoimmune condition to being almost completely pain-free. Paleovality has a number of other incredibly high-quality food-derived supplements, including a vitamin C that I adore. Vitamin C is my ultimate favorite supplement for skin health, and a NeuroEffect mushroom powder that Zach loves for increasing energy and focus. So definitely explore their website. If you'd like to check out the turmeric complex, the vitamin C, the NeuroEffect, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, head over to paleovalley.com and use the code LizM for 15% off. That's paleovalley.com and code LizM for 15% off your order. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I love chatting about this stuff. Now, let's get back to the episode. So do you do no sugar, no alcohol or? I wish. <laughs> so I would say my sugar intake is around my alcohol consumption. I love 
I love to booze. I'm not going to lie. My husband and I love having wine at the end of the day, but I just have made it like a thing where I, you know, from like Monday to Thursday, I really don't drink unless like we have a special event or something. And then from there, I, you know, have like one or two nights where I have, you know, a couple, a couple of drinks. And then other than that, I try to, I just try to keep it at bay. And then as far as like sweets and sugar and all that goes, I try to take that out of, you know, my everyday foods like condiments and, you know, things that don't need to have sugar in it that have sugar in it. I I definitely focus on taking that kind of stuff out because it's totally unnecessary. And then I'm just not a huge sweet person. So that's pretty easy for me to cut out as far as like desserts go for the most part. Do you get that like next day scariest thing when you drink? Like it's like, I feel like it's like not quite a hangover, but it's like Subtle anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Yes. If I, if I were to over drink, yes, I could, I will get Sunday scaries or whatever you call it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they need a name. My friend, she stopped drinking entirely, but she called it the fear, like all in caps. And she was like, I was, I got the fear yesterday, Um, but it became so intense for her that it actually, uh, made her stop drinking, which I think is interesting. I think, I think the alcohol question is interesting because I also enjoy alcohol. I call myself an intentional drinker now because I enjoy alcohol, but I, I have been noticing more and more how not good it makes me feel. So I'm trying to really not just have it because it's, you know, a Wednesday night and I had a rough day or something like that to consume it with a little bit more intention. Absolutely. Um, And that's, I really kind of try to save it for the weekends and relaxing and having fun and unwinding and not working because when when you, when I wake up in the morning after I've been drinking, I notice the brain fog. I notice I don't sleep as well. And it yeah. just kind of is a slow and steady progression of just not being at my, at my best. So I know it's so interesting because when I, when I don't drink for like a week or two, I'm like, I'm superwoman. Why do I deny myself this feeling? You know, know. and then I'll go out <laughs> with, you know, I went out last night and I had a cocktail and it was, and I was like, I know that I'm superwoman when I don't have this, but I still want the cocktail. You know, know, it's such an interesting it's, relationship. <laughs> yes, and my my relationship with it ebbs and flows for sure. Like when I was in my peak of anxiety, I definitely cut it out way more than I have it cut out right now because I'm in a better place with my relationship with anxiety. So it just kind of ebbs and flows. But I know that's one thing. Like if I'm in, you know, a really bad place with my anxiety, that's the first to go. I'm like, all right, no more drinking. But used to, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to drink wine because I'm feeling anxious. Let's help me. Right. Which is such a vicious cycle. Yes. And it wasn't really until I did a whole 30 that I realized, oh, the not drinking is huge for me. Do you, you're from a small town and I think it's interesting that you said that like, you're used to this slower pace of life. Do you feel like you're good at relaxing? Like, I think sometimes the concept of relaxing almost feels hard for me to grasp in today's world. And I'm curious if growing up in that way, you're more adept at it. I mean, yes and no. I think for the most part, the thing that like, I think is the the biggest difference is the at home, um, like not going out to eat all the time, mm-hmm. I guess would be the main thing of like, like all, you know, on the weekends, like we'll just invite people over to come over for dinner all the time. And that is different to me than going out to eat as far as like my mental capacity mm-hmm. because I'm home and it's like, I want to, I want to cook the dinner for everybody. I want like, there's something about the the atmosphere of just like having dinner around the table with people that's like very comforting and soothing for me. 
because that was just like what we did, like to go out to eat where I grew up, it would have been, it's a mission, you know, and we did it and it was fun. And we left to go, to go out to eat. My parents, you know, didn't like, we didn't like not drive to Dallas to go out to eat, but it was just, it was just a different thing. It wasn't like last minute. Oh my gosh, we don't have anything to eat. Let's just go down the street and just, you know, grab dinner that it was more of like, okay, it's the weekend. Let's go in to di- in town for dinner. Like it, it's, it's a different thing. I don't know how to describe it, but yes, I think I'm pretty darn good at relaxing. <laughs> what about in the context of being like, uh, I want to, I, ju- I just want like your wisdom on this. Cause you're also like, you're a high achiever, you publish books, you have um, a very on career. And I find that I almost, I, I put all this pressure on myself to be productive and to achieve a lot and to be successful to the point where when I'm in my relaxing mode, unless I'm like almost productively relaxing, like going on a hike or doing something that like that is productively relaxing, I'm beating myself up. And then if I'm beating myself up, I'll just go on TikTok and scroll for like five hours and then I'll feel worse about myself. And it's this like shitty cycle. So yeah, I'm curious if, if you if you're good at relaxing, can you help me? <laughs> for sure. And I think that's the hardest thing about being at home and relaxing in today's day and age is because we do have our phones and we are, you know, plugged in all the time to social media. And that's definitely something that I struggle with. I think all of us struggle with it because it's so new and we're trying to learn this like healthy balance and relationship yeah. with social media and all of the negativities that come from it. But obviously there's some positive aspects as well. But um I'd say that's definitely the hardest thing. It's like, how do you truly unplug and just sit back and chill. And that's, I think we all have a really hard time with that. And, you know, this past year, um, I was finally like hit kind of a bad place with my relationship and social media and Mm. everything going on in the world and just like constantly having to be present. And I hadn't since like the day that I started to find dish, like really just truly unplugged. And I deleted the app for two weeks and it was a really good thing for me to like just kind of hit the reset button with my relationship with social media and my platform and everything and just realize that like at the end of the day, the most important thing is, is that I'm healthy and happy so that I can in turn be a great mom to my kids and um, and in turn show up on my page authentically and like share from a place that I'm excited to share from and not from a place of depletion. So being able to hit that reset button, I think is really important. Right did you now. learn anything? Like, did you rediscover old methods of entertainment or like learn to sit with your boredom or like have revelations over those two weeks? You know, over those two weeks, I think it, like whenever I started the defined dish, this actually makes me want to start crying. I don't know why I'm emotional today, but I, my favorite thing is cooking. Like I want to have people over. I want to cook. It's what brings me joy. It's what brings me peace. It's just like, it's my love language. It's what makes me so happy. And when I started to find dish, I told myself, I am never going to get to a place where I don't love to cook because Mm. then none of this is worth it. And I was starting to get to that place. And I was so upset about it, obviously, because that's what people are on my page to do is to enjoy the joy of cooking with me. And so when I felt that disconnection starting to happen, I had a huge turnaround where I changed a lot of things about my business over those those two weeks. I left the manager that I was with. I uh, did a lot of things that I knew I needed to do to hit the reset button, to continue Mm. to do the defined dish in a way that still brought me joy and that I could still spread joy doing it. And it was just, 
you know, a personal thing. It wasn't, you know, anything that's bad about the way that some of these managements are running or whatever, but it just wasn't for me. And I was like, I can't operate this way. And I need to hit the reset button. And over those two weeks, I canceled a lot of my partnerships. I switched my manager. I did a lot of things that I needed to do. And it was people just thought I just took a break. No, I like turned some shit around (laughs) behind the scenes for my business and for me personally. That's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious, actually, I mean, this, this series is called Thriving Through Anxiety. I'm curious, it, in that situation, it seems like your anxiety or your awareness of your mental health in that way actually was a, empowered you to make these harder choices or harder decisions in your business, which is, oh, yeah, it's great, you know, for sure. And honestly, I don't think that I would have ever started the Defined Dish if it wasn't for my journey with anxiety. I think, I would have probably taken a job in my family's business. I had started to, right after I had Sutton, get my real estate license and work for my dad. Mm. And I always thought that it was what I was going to do. And I quickly found like that wasn't something that was going to make me happy. And I was just so, you know, anxious at the time. I thought like, oh, maybe after I, you know, fix my anxiety, then I can go back and do this. And it was during that time that I really found that how much I love to cook. Then I also kind of discovered like the whole 30 and cooking that way. And I realized I was really good at like making the recipes that I grew up eating in a whole 30 way or a paleo way and kind of just tweaking the recipe to, to those types of ingredients. So it was just kind of like this revelation. And I don't think that I would be where I am today without that, like, debilitating moment in my life where I was like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to get over this up? So I have a lot to say too, in a weird way. (laughs) It's interesting too, how you're like, I was going to like kind of wait until my anxiety was done to do all this stuff. But actually I think you're this beautiful example of like your anxiety doesn't have to be done to do all this stuff. You can kind of channel it towards bringing your whole self, using it as, as a, powerful tool in your business. You don't have to wait till it's like over. Yes, for sure. And I think finding those those things that make you happy whenever you are struggling with your anxiety and and really putting those at the forefront in your life is is something that you can find like, wow, I can actually turn this to a business or maybe I just need to take more time to do these things to make myself happier. One thing that you talked about in your blog that I thought was really interesting, I was reading your blog post about anxiety and you talk about having this series of panic attacks after you'd made these big strides in your anxiety and that sort of feeling of moving backwards. And I was really intrigued by that because I think there's like often I think success stories in our mental health and our lives and our businesses are portrayed as this like up, up, up climb. Like it just goes forever up. And I don't think it's ever really like that. And I don't think people ever talk about the the feelings of working through going up and then back and then up and then back. And I would love to just hear about that experience a little bit. Absolutely. And I think for me, after I had like overcome that like first big stretch of anxiety and I had found all these tools and I had worked through it all and I was like, I feel great. I I did it. You know, you think you're done. And now what I realized now that I'm wiser about anxiety because I've been through it, the ups and downs of it is I, th- I think it's always going to be an underlying part of my life that I have to manage and upkeep. And before, whenever it would happen, I would just get so upset that it was like happening again. And I'd be like, 
telling my husband, like, I just don't know why it's back. Like I'm doing all these things that were working before. And now it's just like hitting me out of nowhere. And sometimes there's no reason to rhyme for it. Sometimes it's very obvious what the reason and rhymes are. You're like, well, this is going on in my life. And I know exactly why I'm having anxiety. Sometimes you're just like, why the hell is it here? And so it was one of those things where now, since I've been through going through my struggles with anxiety for so many years, it's a very inevitable part of my life I've accepted. And I think that that has almost made it easier for me to work through my issues when I do have mm. have anxiety again, because I don't get so uh, like, I'm so mad it's mm. back. Like, I just want to like pout about it. It's more like, okay, what do I need to do um, to try to get through this right now? Like what what's going on in my life? Like, let me evaluate this situation and, and how I can move forward with it rather than just the pissed off that it's back again moment. That makes a lot of sense. I also, I do think it's so important to recognize that sometimes there is like a reason and sometimes it can be this beautiful little spotlight on something in your life you can change, but sometimes there's just literally none and you can drive yourself crazy being like, Oh, should I like tweak my diet or like change my relationship or exercise more? And it's like, Nope, it's just literally like there for no reason. And you're going to make yourself more anxious trying to figure out why you're anxious. For sure. Like last week I was having, I was had had a great day where I was so productive and super happy and got so much done in the kitchen. Then like all of a sudden that night, I was just like, why am I anxious? Then the next day I started my period. And sometimes mine can be (laughs) hormonally driven too. And I'm like, what is this happening? And um, so I realized it has a lot to do with hormones sometimes for me too. And that's never like a huge anxiety attack, but I'm like, oh, what's going on? Like what's coming? And then then it comes. <laughs> you had your first panic attack when you were hanging out with a bunch of your girlfriends and you've mentioned your husband a few times. And I'm just curious how your panic attacks or your anxiety have impacted your relationships. Like, is it something where you embarrassed about it? Did you have to learn how to communicate about it? How did that work? You know, I've never been embarrassed about it with my husband. In fact, I think he's definitely the person that I turn to most. Like, if today I'm at home working and I were to all of a sudden start having like debilitating anxiety. And luckily that hasn't happened to me for quite some time, but I know I can always call him and he will drop everything to mm. make sure that like he picks up the slack on where he needs to and, and helps me out or just lays with me and <laughs> just make sure to talk things through with me. So he's been a huge help and support for sure. I don't think that he'll ever fully understand it. Mm. I think at first it was really hard to explain to him and my parents and my sister, because they've never really struggled with anxiety. Like I have the sensations that I was having, the feelings that I was having, because, you know, some people are like, well, that's okay. Like, let's just go on a walk. You'll be okay. Just take a deep breath. You know, and you're like, trust me, I've tried all that. Like nothing's, that doesn't do it. This is, this is deeper than that. And so I think it's definitely take time for them to realize that they can't understand it, especially my husband. But I think that he gets, now that he's grasped, like I will never understand exactly how she's feeling, but like I'll always like be here to support is is what has been so valuable. But at first it was just kind of like, you know, they say all the wrong things, not realizing that they're saying all the wrong things. Like, yeah, fine. Let's just go outside. <laughs> Do you tell them like what to say or like have you – is there a way they can be helpful when you're feeling anxious? Um, or do you just like, like to be left alone? I think just like talking through whatever I'm feeling, I think is like the most important to me. I really like to like sit down 
express how I'm feeling or just like cry about it or whatever I need to do. And just having that like shoulder to lean on and, and, you know, maybe it is like my sister saying, Hey, do you want to go on a walk together? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, we go on an hour long walk and like, yes, walk does help. I mean, it doesn't necessarily cure it whenever you're like in a really deep funk, but if you're having mild anxiety, it can definitely help. And having those, uh, that support system around you to do those things that they know that helps you. And whenever I was in my throes of anxiety, going on walks every day was something that really helped me. So it's something that they know, even though they don't understand it, they know these little things that might help. And they're always willing to help pick up the slack too. And they're always like, Hey, why don't you uh, delete Instagram for the day or whatever it may be like, they're super supportive. And um, even though I don't think that they'll ever understand how I'm necessarily feeling. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. We love talking about our gut health here on the Healthier Together podcast, which is why I'm so excited to share the life-changing Seed Daily Symbiotic. I actually discovered Seed back when I was working as an editor full-time. A bottle came across my desk, and I was instantly taken by how cute the green glass packaging is. Then I found out that that packaging was actually refillable so that Seed could share its products as sustainably as possible. And then I actually looked into the research behind Seed, and well, I was blown away. First of all, seed is not just a probiotic, it is a symbiotic. That means it contains both pre and probiotics, which is super important. In fact, if you remember my Ask the Doctor Gut Health Edition, we talked about how prebiotics are one of the most important and often underlooked components of great gut health. Let me break it down for you. Probiotics are the live bacteria that are so beneficial to our gut health, but prebiotics are the food that those probiotics need to thrive. If you don't have ample prebiotics, the probiotics you're consuming will be undernourished and not be able to help your health in the way that you want. Speaking of your health, there's also a common misconception that probiotics or symbiotics are for people with gut issues, which is so not true. Like, yes, the seed symbiotic is amazing for your gut health, but your gut health impacts everything in your entire body, your skin, your mental health, your cardiovascular health, your ability to actually assimilate the maximum amount of nutrients from all that healthy food you're eating. Having a happy gut is critical for all of it. It is hard to narrow down everything else that I love about seed. I am extremely particular with my supplements and I don't take many, but seed is just stellar across the board. It's been tested and tested and tested. Seriously, their testing process is bananas to make sure that it has 100% survival through the digestive process, which is so rare. And somehow they do all of that without needing refrigeration, which is very handy. I find that when I have refrigerated probiotics, I just forget about them and they get buried behind like old jars of pasta sauce, whereas I keep these on my bedside table, so I'm reminded to take them every single night. They also contain the 24 strains that are the most scientifically studied to support your whole body's health. I am obviously passionate about this stuff. Taking care of my gut has been a key part of my own anxiety journey, and Seed has been a vital part of that, so feel free to reach out with any questions. And if you like learning about gut health and how probiotics and prebiotics actually function, I highly recommend heading over to Seed.com. They have a whole educational section that breaks down the science behind your microbiome in some of the easiest to understand ways that I have ever seen. And if you would like to try Seed for yourself and pretty much change your life forever, you can go to Seed.com and use the code LizMoody for 15% off your first month supply of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. Again, that's code LizMoody on Seed.com. Now, let's get back to the episode. 
Something I'm so nervous about as a non-mother is the fact that like it doesn't motherhood is not you can't delete motherhood when you're like when it's making you anxious it's just always on how does how does that work <laughs> like if you're like having debilitating anxiety you can't be like well I don't want to have kids for like a week or two while I work through this <laughs> you know I think it just depends like Right now, if I were to have like a mild spell of anxiety, which is normally the state that I'm in at this point with my journey with anxiety, I haven't had like a really debilitating moment in quite some time. I can kind of just be like, hey, mommy's really tired. She doesn't feel very well. Like go play. My kids are older. So I can be like, can you please go play in the playroom or whatever? And I can communicate with that with that with them. And I've definitely talked to like my therapist about this because my fear is that I might over talk about anxiety, but mm. the, the, the thing about not making it a stigma is obviously really important to not only why we're having this conversation right now and just being more open about it, but also with your family. I mean, so I, I'm pretty open about it at this point, even with my kids, like mommy's doesn't feel well. She's kind of feeling anxious and doesn't feel good. So like, can you please go play the playroom? And they're kind of like, all right, I'll go to the other room. And they're, they're pretty cool. I mean, when they're two, it's harder to deal with. Um, and that's when I was dealing with a more serious, like debilitating anxiety. And I knew I could always call my mother-in-law or my husband to be Mm -hmm. like, we'll take the kids for the day or whatever, and make sure that they're fine and get out of your hair. So, um, it's always nice to have that help around so that, (laughs) But at this point, my kids are older, so it's kind of nice. Do you feel like motherhood has impacted your anxiety in any way? Like I know some people say that um, I I have these like pros and cons of having kids episode where I have mothers kind of send in their very real, honest, anonymous confessions. And one person said the worst part, I mean, a number of people actually said the worst part of having kids is the constant anxiety of like loving something so much that like you never feel like you get to relax again because you're so worried about anything ever happening to them. I think that's really why my anxiety was birthed is whenever my child was birthed because I was already a worrier and already an anxious person. And then having the gravity of having this child that, I mean, she's my life. And like, if anything were to happen to her, I just don't know how I would move on is that the gravity of that is so heavy. And the fear of all the things that could happen when I'm on vacation or all the things that could happen in just a day was debilitating for me. I just like, it's, I think it's overwhelming for any parent, but if you're somebody that struggles with, struggles with anxiety, obviously those overwhelming things can become debilitating. And that was kind of, I think why, when I went on my bachelorette party after I had my child, it was my first time away from her. And I was just like the booze on top of it. And the whole thing, it was like the perfect storm of like, let's give birth to an anxiety attack. (laughs) So is the way to deal with that? I'm like a person who's like deciding whether or not I want to have kids. And one of the things I'm really nervous about is how it will interact with my anxiety. Like, is it just kind of the tools to address, you know, the eating well and the working out and stuff like that? Or is there something you like are telling yourself on an existential level that's making you able to deal with this? I think it's both. I think it's a, I can do all these things in a day to help to help me feel better and be my healthiest self. But also on the other end of the spectrum is at some point you have to give up control of the things that you cannot control in life. I know, which would be so good for me. Like, I feel like if I could have a reason to learn that lesson, it would be so good for me, but it just seems like such a hard lesson. It's so hard at first. It's like, it's like if you have the fear of flying, which is something that I've dealt with, 
that's because <laughs> you're out of control. It's, yeah. this, it's a similar, but even more, more serious thing with like your children running around. It's, it's a similar feeling. It's that fear of, I don't have control over the situation and I could die. It's, you know, and, yeah. um, at the end of the day for me, for example, with my fear of flying, I started studying aviation more and the odds of anything actually happening and flying more to where you can almost counteract it and realize like, this is one of the safest modes of transportation. You're completely fine. Even though you're out of control, like there's other ways to communicate with yourself about these fears that you have to help put things into like a realistic light. And this is something with therapy that I've learned. And it was the same with kids. Like, okay, if you're worried about your kid drowning, whenever they go to your, your mom's house, what are some things that you can do to prevent that? Okay. Tell your mom to put child locks on all the doors done. So we did that. And it's taking control of the situation as much as you possibly can. And from there, I do trust my mom with my kids. I have to let that go. And I, you know, don't want to be one of those parents that just like never lets my kids go to grandma's house because all that fear is there. It was definitely hard for me at first, but you just, it's one of those things that you take day by day, just like you do with your anxiety or fear of flying or whatever you do. And you, you work through it and you realize life is so much bigger than you can control. And you have to let go of things and live your life at the end of the day. And it's freaking hard. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned a few books in your blog post that were really helpful in your anxiety journey. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so there was one in particular, and I'm going to sound like a kook whenever I talk about this book, and that's okay. But I have this friend that I grew up around. She's actually like my dad's masseuse, and she is someone who teaches yoga, and she does sound therapy, and she's just one of those humans that has really found like this other realm of healing and health that like most of your friends probably don't utilize. And she's always been a big part of my life since I was like a kid. She's almost like an aunt to me just because we really bonded. And she's like, whenever I hit rock bottom, I would call Alexis and she'd come over and like, we would do a yoga session or something like she has in her back pocket. Cause she's like trained in all these things to help me get through it. And I've just always found a lot of calmness and being around her. And she was like, I'm going to give you a book. You're either going to love it or hate it. And um, I hope you'll read it. So I started reading it. And at first I'm like, this is weird, but it's um, called Many Lives, Many Masters. It's by Dr. Brian Weiss. And he's a psychiatrist. And long story short, he um, is, I haven't read it in a while. So excuse me if I'm butchering the book, but basically he has a patient who is having these like past life transgressions where she's like remembering these like past lives that she had. And it's a whole story on him, like in the psychology study of this and how she's lived all these different beautiful lives and has been surrounded by like the same people in each of these lives in like different ways. And, um, other than that, it's one of those things that you just have to read, but it was one of those things that just made death not feel as scary to me, I guess, Mm. even though I don't know that I necessarily believe in that. But like, I think all of faith on this earth is one of those things where you're just like, I don't know, but I can kind of, you know, Mm. take some things from everything and it works for my mind. But it was one of those books that I, it just made me fear death a little less, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it was just a a book that I really enjoyed and really liked. 
So that's super interesting. Were there any other sort of like weird out there stuff that helped with your anxiety? Like, or not even out there, but like, you know, CBD, magnesium, Reiki, like just kind of yeah. stuff like um, that. You know, I didn't really start using CBD until recently. And that definitely helps me with like my minor anxiety. Like if I, like the other night, like whenever, right before I started my period and I took it, it definitely helped me like kind of saw and go to bed without having as much jitters. But I didn't really use CBD when I first started having my anxiety struggles. It was, um, but again, Alexis, my friend who I was telling you about, she does a lot of like pranayama style yoga, like breath work. And that really helped me whenever I was in the throes of my anxiety years ago as well. So that's why sometimes if I, if I were to have anxiety really bad and like be going through a spell, I would call Alexis. She would have something up her sleeve to like help me. I don't even know. She's just like one of those people that's just filled with like so much love and light and just like being around her to talk through things. She's mm-hmm. like better than any therapist that I could ever have because she's just, she's just peaceful. I don't know how to describe it. Just it's a also great person. so comforting too. When you have people in your life who are like confident that you can feel better. Like I find that if I have those friends that are just like, yeah, like here's some resources and like you will feel better. It just makes it's it it takes away some of that churn for me. For sure. And I think that like also with, you know, being on social media or all these things that add stress to my life but also joy at the same time that it can be, you know, a lot of pressure sometimes to um show up and speak on things or do things right and you know, mess up. And it, the fear is always there for me that, you know, it, the, the more that I grow, the bigger the fall. And I fear that, you know, something could happen to my business that shames my family or my kids mm. and they have to go to school and like do what the consequences of something, some cancel culture moment that I might have. And that's scary for me, um, especially for my kids, not even I'm willing to take it on at this point, but it's like, I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. And like, I kind of went through a phase of fearing that over the last year, especially. And Alexis is just one of those kind of voices of reason. It's just like, all you can do is show up from a place of like love and, and share that. And if you mess up, it's like, you can say that you're sorry and ask for forgiveness. And if, if that's not enough, then, then you can teach your kids that like forgiveness is the most important thing in life. Mm. And, and you can teach them a lesson in that. And like, but you quitting your job is stupid just because you're fearful of this thing that um, is obscure that could happen. I don't even know what could happen, but it's just all, I think a lot of the anxiety is just fear of the unknown. And again, with a business that's in this public platform, there's a lot of fear around that too, even though it's fantastic as well. Well, and it goes back to that, like what we can control, what we can't control. Like you can control what you say, showing up authentically, standing up for what you believe in, but you can't always control how people will perceive that. And that's part of the career. You know, that's yeah, part of life. For um, sure. If you were, if somebody out there was listening and they were kind of in the midst of anxiety right now, is there anything that you would say to them? I would say that like, you can totally get through this. I have people reach out to me all the time in my and my response is like, I am so sorry you're going through this. I feel you because I've been there, but there is the light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to each day do something new to see if it might help, you know, combat that anxiety and hit it from kind of every angle that you possibly can. And 
don't be willing to ask for help and go see somebody. And, but all in all, I, I 100% think that there's always a way out and a way to help manage it. Again, like I said earlier, I still know that I am, you know, one week away of having an anxiety attack and that's kind of scary. But at the end of the day, I also know that I have the tools and the support system that I've built around me to manage it and to handle it, to get out of it. And um, hopefully I know you will find that, that thing for you as well with time. I love that. I also love the idea that like, you, you, there's, you're probably going to need to try a number of things to figure out like, what is your perfect cocktail? Like what works for you? What would you try on day one for somebody listening? If you're like, what, what should they try first? (laughs) Relax. I think obviously like, like for me right now, if I were to have that exam, I'm going to be like, I know that I haven't taken the time for myself to just like relax in a while. And so maybe it's laying down and watching some mindless, funny sitcom, putting your phone away and like, like the new girl for whatever reason, that's like my anxiety, like pill. <laughs> it's such <laughs> a me. good show. I feel it. I mean, I guess it's not underrated because it's so famous, but every time I watch it, I'm like the writing on this is brilliant. This it's, is a brilliant it's, show. It's lightweight. It's, it's fun. It's silly. And it kind of takes your mind off of things. Um, and it helps them relax. Um, also I think a good walk and just really unplugging from, I think social media is really important for me, at least with anxiety. I think really putting your phone away when you have that feeling and focusing on like things that you can do to relax and, you know, make yourself a good dinner, have some soup. I love soup when I have anxiety. I like feel like I like have the flu. I'm like, I'm going to lay in bed. I'm going to watch the new girl. I'm going to eat a bowl of soup. And then I'm like, okay, I feel a little bit better. Is there a soup recipe of yours that we can, we can tell people to have oh their anxiety soup? I should have an anxiety soup. You I should wish have I had anxiety I wish soup. I had the perfect recipe to take <laughs> away all of your anxiety, but I don't. But it definitely helps. I think the healing chicken soup in my cookbook is great. And then the other one that comes to the top of my head is the um, the chicken enchilada soup that's on my blog as well. It's really flavorful and yummy. So those Yum. are two. But I have so many soups. I'm a soup gal through and through. <laughs> soup is it's very grounding. You feel like you're kind of getting a hug from the inside out, it which is, is, it is. It's, it's lovely. <laughs> if people wanted to follow more of your personal journey and eat some of these delicious recipes we talked about, where can they find you? At the good old at the defined dish everywhere. It's um, on my blog is thedefineddish.com and my cookbook is the defined dish. You can find it at um, pretty much anywhere books are sold for the most part. And then my Instagram is at the defined dish. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and sharing all of this beautiful conversation and wisdom. Well, thanks for having me. It was so fun. Liz here. Remember to stick around to hear the separate interview all about how Alex overcame her fear of flying, which starts right now. Okay. So can you tell me about like, have you been afraid of flying for as long as you can remember? Or was there a specific time where it began? You know, I think it was one of those things where I remember bits and pieces of my childhood of being um, afraid of flying. For example, I remember as a kid, we were supposed to fly just like another um, area of Texas. You know, sometimes those flights can like be the smaller airplanes. And I can't remember how old I was, but that's probably my first memory of like having kind of a panic on a plane and being like, this flight is too small. This airplane's too small. I don't feel comfortable. Like my mom was on one side of the row and I was on the other. I think that scared me. Plus the size of it, I'd never seen it. It was one of those where they like drive you out to the airplane to get on it, where it's like not even 
at the gate. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this does not feel good to me. And so I freaked out. My mom was like, okay, we don't have to do this. We got off the plane oh, wow. and we drove to Corpus. We were going to Corpus Christi. So that was probably my first memory. And then aside from that, I feel like I was always a little bit nervous on planes, but it was really just really small planes that scared me. And then as I got older and after I had kids, I started to be debilitated by flying all the time. I mean, everything scared me. If we booked a trip, I would think about that trip from like the moment that we booked it, even if it was six months in advance Mm -hmm. to the day that we fly, and be, I would worry about it. But did you still, were you still able to to do it, you would just freak out? Or did you ever have another experience where you like got off the plane again? There was one other time when I was a kid that I got off the plane again. And we were in California going, for, it was like a hopper plane going from San Francisco to LA. And I kind of got nervous about that then. And my family had to rent a car and we drove <laughs> because of me. So wow. that's the only other time that I can remember not getting on a flight. Every other that's- time I, I always would still fly, even though I was nervous, I would just cry before. I'd cry the day before. I'd be nervous. I'd be anxious. I would talk about it nonstop. I would, you know, grab my husband's hand the whole way. I still sometimes do that. And it's more of just like a, I, I would always go because it was always a trip that I wanted to go on. And like, it was enough for me to get on the plane and go aside from my fear. Yeah. But it was just, I would just be miserable. I would make myself sick. And sometimes like if it was a short weekend trip, I would just worry about the flight home so much that I really wasn't enjoying myself fully. Yeah. When I was younger, I would take these like six-month trips, which sounds really excessive. Uh, But like instead of like going on vacation, I would like go backpack through South America for six months because I didn't want to think about the flight home while I was there. And it was like this hugely life-altering thing I was doing just because I didn't want to think about flying home. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But I totally, I mean, I can see why you did it though. (laughs) It's interesting to me that your parents were fine, like that they were like, okay, we don't have to take the flight. Cause I was always really afraid of flying. My parents, it it, it was never presented to me as an option that we could get in a car and drive or do anything. Otherwise, do you feel like that was helpful? And do you feel like that's how your parents sort of like approach your anxieties in general? Like, oh, we can like accommodate this work around it rather than like move through it and get on this plane. You know, I think after the second time, it was kind of like, okay, this is the last time we're doing this. And then it was never an option again. The first time it happened, I think my mom also was like, wow, this plane is kind of small. And I totally understand where she's coming from. And it was just my mom and I flying to a wedding that we had to go to. So she was more accommodating at the time because I think she felt so bad. But after the second time it happened and it was my whole family, my brother was giving me such a hard time about it. At this point, I was a little bit older. And that's when we did the road trip in California. They were like, okay, like we're not going to accommodate this anymore. And it never, it never really occurred to me again to like not fly on a plane because I was scared. So I think that I don't remember like the conversation around it or how my my parents approached it. To be honest, I was so young, but it was definitely kind of like a this isn't this isn't going to be a a usual thing for us. We're not going to do this. And my mom was always really good at like talking to me about flying and trying to make it fun and saying like, oh, you know, look how great this is <laughs> in a little bit of a cheesy way, but <laughs> to help me work through being nervous all the time. 
Were either of them afraid of flying at all or were they both totally chill with it? They were both chill with it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Okay. So what sort of inspired you to start working on your fear of flying? Well, when it became just like such an obstacle and I was just worrying sick and like not really wanting to travel as much because of it, I knew I needed to like figure out how to work through it because it was just becoming almost to the point where I wouldn't even want to go anywhere anymore, which I was like, this is not, this isn't healthy. I need to start figuring this out so that I can enjoy to travel with my family without being you know, debilitated by, by flying. And so that's whenever I really started to talk to my therapist more about it. And then just a bunch of other things, which I'm sure we're going to get to, but just, I was just like, okay, this is just like not okay and not healthy for me to be this scared and nervous about flying. I need to, I need to figure this out. Yeah. So talk me through some of the other things that you did. Like, let's talk about all of it. And then we can talk about what was actually the most helpful. Yeah. So I think it was obviously just like anxiety. There's a lot of little different factors, but I started talking to my therapist about it and he was like, I think that, you know, if this continues, if we can't, you know, work through it, just the two of us, we can go to like a specialist just for flying. And I think it's really good to remember that it's one of like the number one fears of, for people. Like, it's just one of those things that people are really nervous about. You feel really out of control and you're up in the sky and it's like not a normal feeling. So I think talking to him about that and knowing that like there were specialists just for flying because it was such a common fear was, you know, kind of step one. And he kind of talked me through a practice leading up to a trip to basically almost give my brain this exercise that I was driving to the airport, packing my bag, getting through security, getting on the flight, flying, and just like almost tricking my brain to make me think that I fly every morning. Like it was like a meditation practice in a way. And I found that really helped because I would kind of visualize myself flying, visualize myself staying calm if there was turbulence and kind of having these like exercises that I did. So that was kind of step one. And then he also said, you really need, he goes, if you continue to go this route and need to work with a specialist, another thing that they really do is teach you about aviation. So I was like, oh, interesting. So I think that was another huge factor is I like downloaded this app at the time it was called Valk. It's called something different now. I'll have to look it up and send it to you. And it's kind of like an old school. It's a, it's a little cheesy looking because it looks a little dated, but it teaches you about aviation. So like when you're taking off, it'll kind of explain to you, this is what the airplane is doing. This is why it feels this way. And then if it's, if there's turbulence, you click the turbulence button. It kind of explains to you, this is what you're feeling this is how safe planes are, how much turbulence they can withstand and explains to you the odds of turbulence, like, you know, just basically all the numbers in general of like the odds of anything happening to you on a plane and how safe they really are. So reading through that, I would read, read that like while I was taking off, I would read it if there was any turbulence and it would help me better understand what was going on. So really understanding aviation a little bit better made me feel more secure because you realize how truly safe that method of transportation is. And then other than that, I'm trying to think what were some other biggies, but I have like my little rituals that I do before I fly of just trying to make myself feel calm. And I feel like the more I do it, my book tour really helped me. I flew a lot back to back to back to where I almost couldn't really think about it. And that 
that just repetition of flying in general made me feel more comfortable with it. So I really think two years ago, going away book tour was a big breakthrough for me just because I was flying way more than I was used to. And it got me feeling more comfortable with it, I guess. What are your little rituals that you do? (laughs) So I usually now take CBD. Whenever I was in a really bad place, I was taking um, like a anti-anxiety pill. So I've kind of gotten off that. I have it in my bag just in case. Um, So I usually do some CBD just to help bring me some calm. I usually try to carry on. Carrying on for whatever reason makes me feel more in control and not going through that process. So that way I can just show up to the airport, work through security and not have more obstacles along the way. So that brings me more peace. I don't know if it will anybody else. And then this might be kind of a little bit crazy, but every time we take off, I count to a hundred because someone once told me that accidents usually happen within the first 60 seconds of taking off or landing. So I count to 100 and it makes me feel really good because once I get to 100, I'm like, cool, we're, we're past like the most, you know, insecure part of flying. Um, I don't know if that's true. Someone told me that it could be totally inaccurate and this could be really bad information that I'm giving to somebody, but no, I've heard the say I've heard five minutes. So I always I like ritualizing. I ritually check my phone and then I'll check it after five minutes has passed. And it's so funny because like obviously the odds of anything happening are so low, but for something so about yeah. me, like moving it, like having really low odds and then taking care of the highest odds within the low odds, like makes yes. me feel way it's better just, too. It's so another it's funny box you do that. checked off yeah. your in your head of worry. But I also think just counting in general, like, you know, mm you know, count to 10 whenever you're upset, like just counting in general is a a really, you know, good thing to do. So just the act of counting, I think calms me more than anything. It gives my brain something to do. And I always pack my snacks. I make sure I come prepared with a bottle of water, you know, just having as much control of your comfort on the plane as possible is always, you know, reassuring. But other than that, I usually have a beer before I fly too. That always <laughs> helps if we're being honest and and that's about it. <laughs> Fair enough. So you so do you feel like now like you just flew yesterday, right? Yeah, yeah. And are you totally like what is your experience flying now? I now don't really get that nervous taking off. I don't really feel that anxiety getting to the airport. I feel really confident in that. The only time that I get nervous is if there's turbulence, to be honest. And there was a little bit on our flight home because there's been quite a few storms around the Texas area. It wasn't even that bad, but you know, when we got in the plane, he was like, just expect it. It's probably going to be a bumpy ride. And that immediately makes me anxious, which I think it probably would most people, but I think it's for me a little bit more debilitating. So I was definitely a little bit more anxious and focused on the flight rather than just kind of clocking out and relaxing. Yeah. Um, so it's really more so now just the flight, the comfort of the flight. Every flight's a little bit different. It's just like what road you're driving on is what I always try to remind myself when you're in your car. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's that more than anything. It's just, you know, turbulence is a little scary. Do you so, pull out your app still? And with, No, nope, with I don't even have it on my phone anymore, to be honest. I think I read it enough to where I'm like, <laughs> I, I know it's not going to do anything to me. So I just try to breathe. I count or I hope, you know, sometimes my husband's with me, sometimes he's not. I've been traveling a lot more solo than I ever did before for work things. So 
I just try to remain as calm as possible, look out the window and just breathe and know everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I don't have any, you know, great tips. I think it's just getting more comfortable and, and working through your discomforts and um, each flight gets better and better, I think. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I get asked all of the time about which CBD brands I recommend. And honestly, I have like two or three companies reach out every week asking to work together. But I wanted to find a brand that I really loved and could stand behind before recommending it to you guys, which is why I am so excited to share Kyoto Botanicals with you. Kyoto Botanicals has a few incredibly important things going for them. They own and operate their hemp supply chain from seed to bottle and hand produce every bottle they sell to deliver products with unmatched consistency and quality. They believe that every single ingredient matters and should contribute to your overall health, which is why they only use USDA certified organic oils to deliver flavor with benefits. Their products only have organic, single-source plant extracts, not lab-developed flavors and colors, so you get whole plant benefits as nature intended. Finally, their hemp is grown according to strict organic and biodynamic standards, and they only use organic coconut MCT oil as a carrier. They have a few different products, but my favorite ones are their tinctures. The Breathe one is lemon ginger flavored, and it helps ease mild anxiety caused by everyday stresses, promotes a sense of calm, and it helps with digestion thanks to the ginger. The warmth one has cinnamon and turmeric to help manage inflammation caused by an active day and to help reduce exercise-induced inflammation. Finally, the restful one is minty, and it helps to promote relaxation and support healthy sleep patterns. My personal favorite way to take the tincture is to put a few drops under my tongue and let it sit for about 30 seconds before swallowing. That way, the most active compounds get straight into your body. They always have free shipping, which I love, and then you can get a whopping 25% off your order by visiting kyotobotanicals.com and using the code healthier together like the name of this podcast. Again, that's k y o t o b o t a n i c a l s kyotobotanicals.com and the code is healthier together. I cannot wait for you to try these. They are truly going to change your life. Now, let's get back to the episode. Is there anything that you do to like – do you try to hide that you're afraid of flying from your kids when you're flying with them or are you okay with kind of showing them that and showing them you working through that fear? Uh, you know, it's really tricky. I definitely would love to hide it a little bit more because I worry so much about them picking up on some of those traits. But there's been a couple of flights and scenarios where I do kind of get too uncomfortable to hide it or get upset. And so I definitely think my oldest is aware that I get a little nervous on flying. And she kind of asked me about it last time we flew. And I was like, you know, how you get nervous about certain things. Mommy just for whatever reason gets nervous about flying. But then I explained to her why it's silly or not necessarily silly. I don't think that's, you know, not the proper term, but why I shouldn't be scared because it's so safe and explained to her that I was like, it's just something that mommy has a little bit of nervousness around and gets a little bit worried, but she, I, I worry about that. I wish I could be a little bit more calm, cool and collected on planes around them. And I think for me, that's been something with them on the flight. I have to remain more calm because I don't want them to see that, but there's definitely been a few tears here. And then whenever I do have more anxiousness on certain flights where I know they've seen it. So I don't think I can completely hide it. So when that happens, I just try to be as honest with them as possible. 
And is there anything that you've learned or like tried or like mantra wise? Like there was um, somebody said to me once that a plane at the speed it's going in air, the air feels thick like jello. So it can't like just fall out of the sky like that. Like, is there anything that you feel like if somebody was sitting next to you and they were afraid of flying on a plane, you'd be like, well, the air this at this speed is like jello. So you shouldn't be like, is there one thing that you kind of would say in that scenario? No, I don't have anything. (laughs) I I don't feel like I know any like super like serious facts, but I will say whenever I was like reading that app and learning more about aviation, I would also like, if I was ever anywhere and I was sitting next to a pilot, those poor pilots, I'd be like, sure, (laughs) sure, tell me about aviation. I get really scared when I fly, you know, and I would just like drill them. They were probably so annoyed with me, but them talking about how safe it was too and seeing their calmness about how safe flying is, it's like, I think that brought me calm too. So just you know, I think learning about the statistics alone are really proving to how we should feel safe. And at the end of the day, you just don't have control over it. And it's one of those things that we put ourselves at risk doing things that we love, like traveling. And the risk is actually really low flying. But at the end of the day, there is a very small risk that something could happen. And that's one of those things that you kind of have to accept too. And that's the hardest part about it. But I think it's, you know, whether it be your faith or whatever, you know, your walk of life is, I think it's learning to accept that aspect of it as well. I was going to ask if there's anything in sort of tackling this sphere of flying that you've learned that has helped with or applied to your other anxieties in life. Um, not really. <laughs> I feel like what you just said resonates with me in that way because it's like, I actually think that fear flying is a really beautiful um, arena to deal with loss of control or lack of control. And I feel like so many anxieties are rooted in loss or loss yeah, of control. For sure. lack of control. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because like, you know, my fear of like my kids drowning or being by a pool, it's like, what, what, what can you do to help relieve that fear and know that you're doing everything that you can to be safe? Like asking grandma to put locks on her doors that are, you know, doing certain things to, make sure that you're putting your best foot forward into doing everything that you can. And then the rest of it is out of your control. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I I think it is kind of one of those things in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's really how you feel about everything else. It's just flying is, I think more daunting because you have, you're just sitting there as a passenger and there's really nothing you can do other than work through some of the mental aspects of it and understand flying and understanding, you know, the risk and, there's not really anything that you can physically do on a plane to make yourself feel more comfortable. So that's kind of what it's a little bit different. And I think that's why, you know, people with anxieties probably feel even, you know, more out of control with it because you, there's nothing that you can physically do as a person on the plane. If you're, if you're not a pilot or if you're not part of the crew, right? so it's a, it's a little bit different, but you're technically working through a lot of the same emotions and feelings that, you do in your everyday life anxieties. So yeah. I, Even I that, which you just said, like the, it's going to be uncomfortable and sometimes you're just going to need to be able to like sit in discomfort, I think is a powerful, uh-huh. powerful takeaway, you know? For sure. And like at the end of the day, you know, just not flying and not traveling is just not an option. And I feel so bad for people that are so debilitated by their fear of flying that they've gotten to that point. And I, I get DMS all the time because I have been transparent about my 
fear of flying with, with them saying that they've gotten to that point. And I just really hope that they can find help so that they can get to the point because obviously people want to fly and they want to go places and want to be able to enjoy that aspect of life. And it's, it's just unfortunate that it's the one barrier stopping them from doing that. Well, gosh, that's like, um, that's so much of anxiety, isn't it? It's like, can, will I let this make my life smaller or will I fight to keep my bigger life with this, you know, Mm -hmm, for sure. Which I think is so, uh, it's, it's, it's a scary thought, but I also think it's a really empowering thought because it puts, it puts that choice in our hands or like that ability that like, no, we can fight for that bigger life. I think that's really empowering for me at least. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to hop on and chat about this. I know that, um, I love hearing people who have, uh, overcome fear of flying. It just like, I find it very nice to even, like you said, to know that other people are in the same boat with the fear and that they've been able to like do something about it and keep living this like bold and beautiful life. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to P-U-O-R-I dot com slash L-I-Z-M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody.